0: to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I'm your host, JSN Wemina. It is an absolute pleasure to be talking with you today. I am talking today about focus. Thank you for listening to the five keys that are important for your success in 2024 and clearly beyond 2024, depending on when you're listening to this. I have been talking about different keys for success, including taking control of your thoughts, taking control of your decisions and also taking control of your actions. And today I'm speaking specifically about focus. And I wanna just celebrate clinicians everywhere because the fact that you're a clinician is a sign that you know how to focus. And if you've come through medical school and residency and even fellowship, you know how to focus or you're able to get resources to help you focus. So you're able to do that. But one thing that's interesting for me, when I became a new faculty member, and I made the transition from being a fellow to being a faculty, one of the challenges I had was, well, what do I focus on? Because, I mean, as a fellow, as a resident, I mean, I had many things to do, but the goals were pretty clear. These are the metrics of success for the program, and I accomplish all these competencies. I'm done. I graduate. I get the certificate. But then as a faculty member, it becomes a lot more challenging because, yeah, there are all these criteria for promotion and tenure, but but what am I supposed to be doing in my day to day? The clinic feels overwhelming. Clinical responsibilities are so many and they overflow. How can I focus on my research? How can I do that? How can I move forward the things I want to move forward and also be a great doctor and also be a great educator? and administer the things that I've been called to be an administrator over. So there are a lot of things pulling us in different directions, pulling our attention in different directions. And the challenge we experience, and I think is a growing problem for us, especially in this age of technology, is that our attention is pulled in so many directions. Our attention is a commodity that people are buying and selling. And if we are to take control of our experience, especially as we lead research programs, We really do need to take control of our attention. We need to focus on what is important. There are so many trivial things. There are so many things to do, but how do we focus on what's important? And that's what I'm gonna be talking about today. Okay, so I'm sharing with you five things to consider as you expand your focus so that, or intensify, I should say, your focus as you lead your research program. So the very, very first thing, is to focus on what matters focus on what matters now the challenge of focusing on what matters is that sometimes it feels like everything matters especially when people are yelling about it or they're calling you so many times or they keep paging you over and over again the challenge is to focus on what matters but how do you determine what matters because it feels like everything matters so I'm pause and say That everything does not matter. At least everything does not matter equally. And there are some things that matter more than others. There are some things that matter more than others. For example, when I was a faculty member about a year or two into my faculty career, I came home one day and my husband had just brought the children home. And my daughter initially had been talking and all of a sudden she went silent. And she was just staring blankly. And then she started to have a grand mal seizure and she proceeded to become unresponsive. I had just come home from clinic that day. It was a long day and I had a lot of notes to do. And I will tell you that we rushed, rushed like crazy. We didn't even wait for the ambulance. We were in the car, drove to the hospital because I knew exactly how, and we drove fast. And, you know, we spent time in the ICU We spent time in the hospital and, and we went home. And not at one point during that, did I turn around and say, oh, wait a minute, I've got notes to complete. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) What were the results of those labs? (laughs) Because in that moment, she was the one who mattered most. My family, being there for my family and being able to move forward in spite of the crisis was, was important. And just so you know, she's fine. But it was an important reminder to me in that moment of what mattered. I couldn't even think about my clinic for three, four days until, you know, when she was home and doing so much better. So so we focus on what matters. Now, that being said, is family all that matters? No. We're clearly in academia. We're clearly in, clini- in, in clinical research. We're clearly researchers for a reason. We are going to continue to move work forward even though we're we're people who have families and we love and care for our families. But what we don't want to do is to neglect the things that matter for things that matter less. And so yes, we want to make sure that we focus on nurturing our relationships so that we can continue to enjoy the careers that we're building. Because no one ever said, Hey, I got all these awards and research and I'm so excited even though it cost me my family, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my spouse or significant other. No one ever celebrates all their accomplishments above their families. And so that's one of the things that's important is to focus on what matters. And how do you focus on what matters? You make sure that you are healthy and well so that you can be there to nurture your relationships relationships take energy, relationships take time and investment. And that is why it's important for us, especially because we're clinicians, to make sure that we tame our clinical workload so that it gives us time and space to do all the other things that we need to do, including taking care of our families, taking care of our health, taking care of our mental and emotional well-being. These are the things that matter. Focus on what matters Define what that means. Define the hierarchy because you're always juggling these things, but define the hierarchy. What takes the highest priority? So number one is focus on what matters. Number two is focus on the most important asset that you have in your academic career. Yes, you want to focus on the most important asset you have in your academic career. And that asset is you. Yes, you are the asset. You are not just an asset, you are the asset. Without you, your career crumbles. Without you, your life is ended. Without you, nothing else matters. And here's the thing the institution will continue long after you're done at the institution or maybe in this life. You are the asset that you are building. One of the important criteria as you're moving forward in building your research program is to make sure you are building the asset. Focus on building the asset that is you. How do you build this, this asset? Well, you build this asset by expanding like you're crazy. <laughs> you pour in information in there that enhances you. You attend career development workshops. You go to anything that enhances you. You read. You, you study, you show up for programs, you join communities that enhance you. You exercise, you eat well, you sleep well. Wow, that sounds like a full-time job, doesn't it? And it is. The reason you need to focus on you as the, not a, but the, or not an, but the asset is because when you appreciate, when you appreciate in value as an asset, Everything around you appreciates. The work you do appreciates. Your capital, your network, it appreciates. Financially, you appreciate. Everything appreciates the moment you, the asset, appreciates. And so what you don't want to do is sacrifice the asset on account of anything else. I think there's an analogy in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, about having the goose that produces the golden egg. And uh, actually he, he alludes to the story about the goose that lays the golden eggs, you know? And if you remember the story, the farmer had a goose that laid golden eggs and they would have to wait because the go- the goose only laid one egg a day. And finally they came up with this brilliant idea. What if we kill the goose, take all the eggs out of the goose and we can have all the gold at once? <laughs> And so they killed the producer of the gold and they were left with no gold. You are the producer of gold in your research program. It's you. You make everything happen. And therefore you want to focus on maximizing the value of the greatest asset you have in your career and in your life. Focus Focus. on the most important asset and that is you. All right. Number three is to focus on the vital few. And we talked about this in, I think, the decision-making episode, where we talked about the fact that, wow, there are many, 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 things you could do, but not all of them are important. And in fact, most of them do not move you forward and so the principle of the vital few, I got really from actually a couple of books. So Essentialism by George McKeon and also The Pareto Principle. And actually that's kind of highlighted in The 80-20 Rule by Richard Koch. I think that's his name and I'll confirm it in the, in the show notes. But yes, there are very few things that, that move the needle in your life. And you may not know what they are until you do the analysis, until you study And then you figure out, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you look at the data and you're like, what? Like last year, I spent a lot of time on on four research projects, but only this one research project yielded two manuscripts, three abstract presentations, and an opportunity to go and talk. Not all your projects yield big returns. And you're like, well, I got to keep working on them equally. No, you do not. The one that gives you the biggest bang for your buck That is what we're talking about as the vital few. And so you want to focus on the things that move you forward. And if you're a clinician transitioning to build a research program, one of the things that's most important is really growing your ability to write, to present, and to to really declare your work to funders, to people who will read your work, to the lay public, to your scientific community. That's one of the most important things you do. You're a writer, a scientific communicator. And so that is one of the things that gives you big bangs for your buck, right? You become a great science communicator. You become a good writer. You're able to communicate with funding agencies and they will give you money so that your program continues to run. You're able to communicate with, with, with the lay public and you might find some philanthropic donations to move your program forward you're able to communicate well with a science community, with a scientific community, and you get invited to give talks and you, you are able to present your work at meetings. And so being a science communicator, focusing on communicating your science regularly and intentionally is one of the highest yield things that you do as a clinician scientist, as a clinician researcher. And so you never want your ability to grow and thrive as a science communicator to suffer at the hands of things that other people could do for you or at the hands of things that you could be replaced in doing. I know we love patients. We love to take care of patients. And many of the patient care things we provide can be provided by people who have not been at school for as long as we have, or who have not done the kind of training for as long as we've done training. And so it's important to make sure that while we continue to move our clinical programs forward, we don't let our research, our scholarly communication suffer at the hands of something in which ultimately we could be expendable in. When you think about it as a clinician researcher, you're moving forward a program of study. Remember I said you are the asset. If you don't do this program of study, somebody else might not do it. I mean, If you say work in diabetes, there will always be a researcher working in diabetes, but the specific angle that you bring to diabetes research is not something that anybody else can easily reproduce, especially if it's your baby, the thing you're most excited about. Therefore, there are very few things that move you forward in the direction of being the expert in the specific space. And that's what you want to focus on. And there'll be many opportunities. People will come, they'll say, oh my goodness, come be part of this and come do that. There'll be so, 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 so many, but not all of them will move you forward in the way that is meaningful to you. You want to focus on the things that move you forward. Okay, oh, yeah, that was number three, focusing on the vital view. All right, the next thing you want to do is to focus on eliminating the things that derail you, energy wasters, time drainers, all, all the things that just make you I do oh um, okay. It's energy N H A wait energy trainers. <laughs> and time wasters. Yes. You want to get rid of all of that. And, and what do I need? Sometimes you have colleagues that write you emails that make you so mad. Oh my goodness. I had one of those yesterday. And the challenge with these things is that they take up so much time and energy because you're so mad. You want to compose the perfect email just to show them that you know. And you take a lot of time to do that. What you're not doing is doing your writing. And when you finally satisfy yourself that you have sent the perfect comeback, you can't even stop thinking about how it's landing and whether it's doing the right amount of damage that you hoped. And then at the end of the day, you're kind of drained. You, you have no energy to move your work forward. Wow. And was it worth the hours that you spent trying to school that person and you didn't get to move forward? And so if you're going to succeed in your research programs, you're going to succeed in moving forward. One of the things you will do is to not let things bother you. You're going to ask yourself, is this absolutely critical to my forward motion? And if the answer is no, you move forward. The reason this is important is because there will always be challenges in academia. Wow, the system is slow as molasses. There are always challenges. There are always people complaining. There's always a problem to be solved. And one of the things you don't do is to set yourself to try to move a pillar that keeps a building standing. Academic medicine is the way it is because it works for academic medicine. It doesn't work for many individual faculty, but it works for systems. It works for institutions. If it didn't, those systems would not exist. And so sometimes we push ourselves against things that we think we can change, And what we're not recognizing is that they're pillars. And while we're pushing these big pillars that are actually immovable, what we're not doing is moving forward our scholarship that actually can make transformation possible in a way that can be subversive. And so there are different ways to transform the system. And I'm not asking you not to transform the system. What I'm saying is that you've got to recognize your role. What is your role? What is the thing that you can do And only you can do it. And I want to argue that if you're a clinician moving forward a research program, trying to make big waves and moving about from, you know, person of influence to person of influence to try to push change is maybe not the first path that you tread before you've really fully established yourself as a a scholar. Because the way academic institutions are established, scholarship is really really honored and many times people who don't have as much scholarship can still contribute significantly and scholarship continues to be honored and so it's important to recognize what is my role what is my skill what are the things i bring that nobody else can bring and focus on expanding those things because nobody can take those away from you positions positions come and go especially depending on the political climate and so while you continue to do administrative roles You want to make sure you have a body of scholarship that will go with you wherever you are. And so you want to focus on eliminating things that waste your time so that you can enhance the things that matter. The fifth thing is to focus like someone who is incapable of doing anything else. Yep. (laughs) Now you choose your area of focus. and You want to just be, what's the word? There is a term for where you you feign, you feign ineptitude to some extent. It's like, oh, we need somebody who can help us move the table. Oh, you can move the table. I see your arms. They're very strong. That's not why you're here. And so you're like, oh, I would love to help you move the table. I'm not very good at those things. And I mean, I'm not asking you to lie. I'm just saying that that's not what you're supposed to focus on and I know I'm using an example of moving the table, but maybe I use another example of planning the, the the holiday party. I mean, it's so awesome that there's a holiday party and it's so awesome that you're so good at organizing that someone feels like you're the one to do the holiday party organizing. But the time that you're spending doing the holiday party organizing is time that you're not spending moving your own program of study forward. And the truth is, if for whatever reason you kind of drop, drop dead out of exhaustion and you're carried emergently away to the, up to the hospital, somehow the holiday program still gets done. But what doesn't get done, what doesn't get done is your research because you're the champion of your research program. So if you are going to succeed <laughs> in moving forward to your program of scholarship, you're going to feign ineptitude and in things that are not your primary concern. If you look around and there are four or five, six other people who can do exactly what's being requested. Don't volunteer. Wait. Wait and see who else volunteers. Don't be the first to jump in to do the thing that other people can do for you. And I have to tell you that one of the efficient inefficiencies, inefficiencies of academic medical centers is that many times physicians are asked to do things that are really clerical because people are trying to save time and money. But the reality is that as clinicians, you bring high value in your scholarship Academic institutions, your scholarship helps make the academic institution academic. And so don't accept a situation where someone says, Well, I just want to save money by asking you, a highly valued clinician who can generate revenue as a clinician and a highly valued creator of scholarship, to come do something clerical that I could pay somebody minimum wage to accomplish. And so this is the challenge of academic medical centers. They continue to do that, and by they, I'm not talking a specific person. It's just the way the system works. And what you're going to do, because you recognize the value of your program of scholarship, is to not allow those things to cloud your experience. to not allow those things to prevent you from moving forward. And what that means is you're going to guard your program of scholarship jealously against these things that encroach. And that don't have to encroach. And here's the thing the moment they can't find you because you are so focused and you're feigning ineptitude about all these clerical things that you really shouldn't be doing, wow, all of a sudden funding arises to be able to fund a clerical position to do that work. But the fact that you keep volunteering keeps them from finding anybody. How convenient. (laughs) I don't mean to sound cynical. But what I do want to share is if you will not move your program of study forward, nobody will do it for you. But people will come every day to pull you from your program of study, not because they're trying to derail you, but just because people are people. And, you know, we just we're just wanting to look for someone who can help us. We're not really asking, is this the highest qualified person for this role? Is this the person who actually should be doing this? Is there somebody else who who should be doing it? We don't ask those questions. Because it's more convenient, it's easiest to ask that nice doctor who always says yes. So you're going to focus on the things that you are supposed to be doing. feign ineptitude. (laughs) About everything else. Okay. Those are the five points I'm giving you for your focus this year. One is to focus on what matters. Number two is to focus on the most important asset. That's you. Number three is to focus on the vital few. Number four is to focus on eliminating time wasters and energy drainers. Number five is to focus like someone who doesn't know how to do anything else, feigning ineptitude. All right, that's it for today. You know somebody who wants to coach with me, maybe you, maybe somebody else. Please send me a DM or sign up for a coaching consult call and the link will be provided in the show notes. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking with you again the next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. Someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries that change the way we do healthcare.